broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Welcome to Chattanooga Business Radio. We are broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center in downtown Chattanooga. Brian Joyce, that is my name, and I'm the host of the show. And this morning, I'll be talking with two guests. Uh, one of these guests is Sam Parfit. Sam is the director of athletics at St. Peter's School in Chattanooga, and he's also the founder of the True Athlete Project. We'll be talking with Sam in just a couple of minutes here. And I'll also be speaking with Daniel Leak. Daniel is the founder of My Smart Garden. So, Daniel and Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Daniel, we're going to start with you, My Smart Garden hydroponics. What exactly is hydroponics? Well, have you ever had a garden? Have you ever grown a garden or grown any herbs or anything? Badly, yes. <laughs> usually me too. Yes. Um, so usually gardening is you plant the plants uh, or whatever you're growing in dirt and you water it every day and you pick weeds and you do a lot of work and you hope after a couple of weeks you get some vegetables. Right. So hydroponics is where plants are grown in nutrient water instead of soil. And the result is higher yield plants using mm -hmm. only 10% of the water of traditional gardening. And, uh, and it can be done anywhere from a backyard greenhouse to an apartment balcony. Right. Okay. So you don't necessarily need to have a garden to be into hydroponics. You can do this indoors. That's right. Okay. Uh, hydroponics, my next question would be, why is hydroponics becoming so popular? I think possibly you might have just answered the question there. If you have a lot of people living in small urban spaces, they may be don't have an acre to go out there and grow vegetables, but you could do this anywhere. That's right. A lot of research uh, recently, there was a study um, by uh, gardeners.com, and they said that 25% of people who garden say they, or uh, people who don't garden, say they don't do it because they don't have land. Right. Um, they're moving to, my generation is moving into town, we're moving into balconies, uh, apartments, things like that. Um, so we don't have places to do traditional gardening. Mm -hmm. um, so hydroponics makes it really easy um, because we can still grow um, uh, the same yield or even higher yield plants with less space using um, uh, less natural resources. Now, at the very least, do you need natural sunlight or can you use artificial light? Artificial light is pretty popular. There okay. are vegetable gardeners and then there are um, another uh, growing trend in hydroponics is the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of those growers prefer um, uh, non-traditional light, so um, LEDs or something else. Now, yourself, how did you get into this? Were you always somebody? I mean, you, you, you seem to be saying you were not necessarily a, uh, a vegetable and green snob. So how did you get into <laughs> hydroponics? Um, my hydroponic experience started a couple years ago when my wife said that she wanted a garden. Mm. Um, but I'm a lazy person. Um, so I have no interest in. <laughs> so we had a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I have no interest in digging holes and daily watering and pulling weeds. And um, plus, we like to travel a good bit. So when mm -hmm. we when we leave, um, the garden just goes to mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. dies. <laughs> um, so uh, I've seen some pretty cool YouTube videos with guys growing massive tomato plants and things um, hydroponically. Right. Okay. Now, to anybody who's interested in getting into this, though, and let's say they have the background of you, I'm, I'm not necessarily a farmer. I don't have all the expertise, but I think I can do this. But the advantages to hydroponics and nutrient water and growing in, in these sort of environments, that doesn't necessarily mean you can be lazier about it, or does it? Can you just leave town for a week and come back and um, your garden won't be dead? Well, with a new tool that I'll tell you about, <laughs> you can do that. But usually hydroponics is was reserved for um, just for expert gardeners because it requires managing 
nutrient and environmental variables with precision. Mm -hmm. And just one mistake, if your pH uh, runs too high or your nutrients drop too low, you can wreck your entire garden in a day. Yeah. Um, which for some people, that just means they replant some strawberries. Um, for people who are growing for a community or for their village or, or for uh, produce to sell, um, it means they don't have anything to sell at the market that week or, or anything to feed their family. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your company then, My Smart Garden. How does it all work and how do you help these well, I suppose you can work with anybody from beginners, amateur gardeners to very experienced gardeners. So how does it all work? That's right. Um, so we make hydroponics easy by helping growers remotely monitor and manage their plants. Um, you put our system in your garden and it integrates with any garden. It's some probes that you have to place in different areas in your garden. And immediately you can track the eight variables that are um, key for hydroponic gardening. Mm -hmm. And you can um, uh, check remotely on your phone or through a web dashboard. You can check in your garden and make sure that everything is where it should be. Mm -hmm. And you get an alert if anything is in a dangerous zone, a dangerous range, any of your variables. Um, and then we have some add-on modules where you can, for instance, if you're out to dinner one day and you find out that your water is too low and, and your garden, the system has shut off your pumps because um, uh, the water is too low and it keeps them from burning up. Mm -hmm. You can add water from your phone while you're out to dinner. Um, then the trouble is that your nutrients are too low because you just added a bunch of rainwater. So then you <laughs> right. can dose a nutrient solution on the proper amount of nutrients to make sure that your garden stays in the right range, even remotely. So let's talk about this system that you speak of. So anybody who's interested in contacting you, My Smart Garden, my guest here is Daniel Leake. He's the founder of My Smart Garden. Anybody who's interested in getting into hydroponics, what kind of equipment do they need? When you talk about this system, what, what is your basically uh, your starting kit? Um, the starting kit is a monitoring tool that um, uh, will measure um, air temperature, air humidity, the amount of sunlight your garden is getting, mm -hmm. the water temperature in your water tank and also in your grow beds, um, the pH levels, dissolved oxygen levels, um, water level of your tank, and whether it's raining or not, if it's an indoor garden or, okay. it's, or if leaks, if it's an uh, indoor garden. So at the very least, you're going to need a water tank and right. what else? Um, so most hydroponic gardeners will start with just like a Rubbermaid tote. Mm -hmm. um, you can drill holes in the top of it. You can have a little air pump or um, something, some kind of pump making, uh, aerating your water. And then you can grow lettuce or a lot of leafy vegetables right out of the top of just that tote. Right. Um, uh, herbs grow really well that way for like an, for a balcony apartment. Um, uh, herbs and lots of leafy greens grow really well, really easy out of a Rubbermaid tote. Um, people who want to add a little bit more can add some grow uh, medium like um, clay pellets or, or little rock pellets. Um, they can grow pretty much any vegetable, tomatoes and yeah, uh, uh, um, tomatoes, strawberries, cucumbers, zucchini, pretty much anything that no somebody would normally grow in their uh, backyard garden. Now, how much space would you need? Now, again, this is getting into my sort of amateur status when it comes to gardening, but... Um, I know you were saying you could do this with pretty much any space or lack of space, but <clears throat> obviously, you know, some vegetables bigger than others. I mean, if you're trying to grow cucumbers or something like that, even a head of lettuce can get to be a big size thing. So, uh, you know, people who are living in an apartment with a balcony, can they really grow, uh, go out there and grow massive tomatoes and huge squash and cucumbers? Or do you, do you kind of have to figure out your space before you get into that? Um, figuring out the space is kind of important, but the benefit of hydroponic gardening is that you can grow vertically. So you can have horizontal PVC rails and you can grow plants stacked right on top of each other up, up, uh, the side of your balcony. Yeah. Um, without having to take up any more real estate on your balcony. 
That's an interesting phenomenon that I saw catch on. I don't know. I guess maybe it was about six or seven years ago, what they call vertical gardening, where people will literally just grow greens right up a wall. Right. Yeah. So when we talk about food problems in the United States, we, we know that like by, by 2050, there's going to be another two and a half million, a billion people on the planet. Yeah. Um, the trouble is that we are already using 70% of the world's farmable space. Right. So we need to grow about 80% more food with the remaining 30% land that we have. Well, that's an interesting conversation too. And obviously this is part of the reason why a lot of people are getting into hydroponics as well, because you talk about number one, hunger problems, uh, not just in the United States, but across the world, but also obesity problems. That's a huge problem in the United States. And again, for the past maybe five years or so, five to 10 years, you've heard people talking about, well, I want to get back into growing my own stuff. So I make sure, so I'm making sure I'm eating healthy. Um, this is obviously the type of program that can certainly help with that. So what are, at least in the United States, what do you think are the most pressing problems right now? On the one hand, we hear about hunger. On the other hand, we hear even more about obesity. What's the bigger problem? Or do you think hydroponics is something that can address both? Um, the word that I, that comes to mind it has, is thrown around a lot. It kind of has lost some meaning, but it's food deserts. Yes. Which basically means... There's no access to good, healthy food. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we can look in our downtown areas and we can see lots of fast food all lined up in a row, but we don't see any good grocery stores anywhere close. Right. Um, so people have access to calories pretty easily and cheaply. Mm -hmm. They just don't have access to good calories or healthier options. Mm -hmm. um, so Chattanooga specifically is doing a lot of work on solving the food desert problems with um, our mobile food market, the, the local YMCA um, downtown right across the street, pretty mm -hmm. close here. Um, we have a system there that's going to be growing with um, haponics, that's growing hydroponic vegetables that are sold through the mobile market to help solve food desert problems. So we can provide healthy calories to people, even when they don't have access to healthy calories, um, to give them nutrients without having to give them a lot of the uh, unhealthy foods that they're, they're eating otherwise. Well, it's a it's an interesting and sad phenomenon that I think you've seen develop, not just in the United States, but really in most of the developed world where we've become a culture of convenience. And so, like you say, I mean, there's there's fast food restaurants and there's and there's pop in restaurants <clears throat> pretty much on every corner. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's not that long ago. It's literally just maybe two generations ago, our grandparents who would grow a lot of their own stuff. And so Today, you, you hear these uh, sort of catchphrases like farm to table, and people want to know where their food is coming from and organically grown. And a lot of people don't necessarily know what that means. But really what it means is we just want to take things back to the way we were doing it not very long ago, just maybe two generations. And we've kind of lost that. Right. And, um, and, and when we want to grow more uh, vegetables, you know, we have restaurants around trying to use locally sourced foods. We have... Um, like even even mail away programs mm -hmm. like um, uh, Blue Apron uses right. you know produce that they and we have a local alternative which is the Daily Fig Weekly Fig Weekly Fig Weekly right. Fig yes yeah. we have them on the show yeah yep. right um, well a lot of people are trying to bring a lot of that produce back to people but when we talk about where we're going to grow all that um, you know we, we can use hydroponics and we can drive around downtown and see vacant building after vacant building. Right vacant lots where that are otherwise un, unusable, you know, parking lots and polluted land where normally we wouldn't be able to grow anything. Yeah. So with hydroponics, we can grow above the ground. We can grow vertically and we can grow a lot more food, a lot healthier food to feed a lot more people without having to spread out and continue to uh, uh, 
And it's it's really incredible to me because um, although that sounds to to somebody who's never done this, this sounds like a radical idea. And I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a great example, though. Um, I don't think they ever moved forward with any kind of a program like this. But years ago, I think this was like seven or eight years ago, I was reading about the urban decline in Detroit. And of course, you, right. you have all of these factors coming together. You have people just fleeing the city. The city is more or less abandoned. I think like 75% of Detroit is just not even inhabited, okay? And the parts that are inhabited are very low-income people who a lot, of, a lot are on food stamps or assistance. They do not have access to good food. There's no grocery stores, food desert, as you say. And I remember, I think it was either the former uh, mayor or a member of the city council had floated the idea of literally just retaking portions of the city by eminent domain, rezoning them as farmland, and just let's start over. And of course, a lot of people immediately laughed and said, who is this hippie with these crazy ideas? And in my own head, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's a better idea? I mean, is there a better idea? I, I thought it was a perfectly good idea. Right. I, I think I think a lot of it is that it's just an unknown concept. When we talk about hydroponics, I mean, you see a picture of it, it looks like a space station. Right. Um, a lot of this stuff just looks like a future town. Um, but it's nothing complex. It's it's giving nutrients to a plant in, in a different way than what we're used to. Um, well, we work with a local group, Paponics, and they do um, projects with local high schools. They just went to Swaziland. And there's a UN project there that's helping teach locals um, where they have completely polluted the land. Their fisheries like are totally right. shot. Mm-hmm. And they're teaching people there how to grow. And um, it's just totally foreign to them. They're used to going and throwing the same seed in the same fields over and over and hoping that the plants come up. So now they're showing them, hey, we can grow much better food, a lot easier. It just takes a change in in how we do it as well. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Chattanooga Business Radio. We're broadcasting live from the Regis Office Building in downtown Chattanooga. Brian Joyce, that's my name, and my guest here is Daniel Leak. Daniel is the founder of My Smart Garden. He's involved in hydroponics. Uh, Daniel, you just sort of spoke to this. You know, you talk about countries in Africa, countries all across the world that have problems with hunger. Obviously, we do have a lot of traditional aid programs. We always have had these programs. Then you have newer developments like hydroponics. So are the traditional programs working? And if they're not, why aren't they working? Uh, What's interesting to me is that we have huge budgets for our aid programs. And our favorite thing to do is to go in with a a train long line of semis and hand out a bunch of food or rice bags or whatever, and then we leave. Um, And the sustainability is the word that that just doesn't work long term. Mm -hmm. Um, but when we can go in and we can teach people if it's a change in technology like hydroponics or if it's something, you know, as easy as, hey, maybe we shouldn't pollute our land as much. Um, if we can teach something that, that um, is sustainable and teaches them to solve problems for themselves in the future, mm-hmm. um, the sustainability factor is there versus just passing out bags of rice. So hydroponics and helping people, um, um, the, the partner would be aquaponics, which is instead of dosing nutrients into the water, we have fish and we feed the fish and the fish create waste and that nutrient is right. taken by itself. It's a whole life cycle. Right. Um, so an aquaponic garden can help feed people um, both the protein from the fish, the, we can restock fisheries with the fish, we can also grow all the produce. Um, a, a simple garden like that can solve a, a village of hunger problems mm-hmm. um, versus a couple of semis full of rice. Now, taking this back to the United States, but also, say, staying in third world countries, how expensive is hydroponics? Because I think that might be the next question that people would have. OK, so I'm, I'm going to need a nutrient system and I need certain equipment. 
Is it is 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 buying into this? Is the price point necessarily something that could stop people? Um, it, for a for a home grower um, in Chattanooga, a hydroponic system is going to be more expensive than just planting seeds in the dirt. Mm -hmm. um, it's offset by a much higher yield, mm -hmm. and um, uh, so they can consider that. But for um, uh, industrial size farming, um, it's really a one time expense. Yeah. You set up the expense, the expense of building out a garden one time, and then you continue continue to use the same system over and over. Versus, I've spent five years growing up in Kansas, and I got to see you know the large machines spraying gallons of chemicals out on land, and spending you know hours and hours just running the tractors back and forth, tilling and turning and uh, fertilizing and weeding and like over and over and over. None of that has to happen. None of that expense goes into any kind of a hydroponic or aquaponic garden. Yeah. My guest here once again, Daniel Leak. Daniel is the founder of My Smart Garden. And uh, last question I would have for you, Daniel, is again, taking it back to the United States. When you talk about food deserts and fighting hunger here in the U.S., uh, in addition to hydroponics, but also you can get back into hydroponics, but what are basically some overall approaches that we can take to this because these are phenomenons that people have been talking about for years now. I think a lot of communities are starting to address this. I've seen programs in place here in Chattanooga that have started to address food deserts and access to healthy food. But what else can we do just in a, in a general sense, but also in a specific way? Um, I, uh, the entrepreneur in me um, sees the problem of food deserts and also sees the opportunity of healthy food. And uh, then drives around town and sees countless empty buildings and empty warehouses. Um, I, I think the trouble, especially discussing with other entrepreneurs in the city, that the trouble is always um, uh, how do we make use of that land, and how do we get help from the city to be able to turn you know eyesores to our city into beautiful places that serve a purpose to our community. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think as cities create programs that help. Um, employ people, make use of otherwise unusable land, and then help provide food to their communities. Those are triple win solutions that entrepreneurs can help uh, build the fire underneath. I think they're triple win solutions as well, but how long, because there is sort of that, there's always going to be a certain level of stubbornness. And again, we are a culture of convenience. So people have gotten used to the idea of, oh, when I need my vegetables, I just go to the supermarket. If there's no supermarket nearby, I guess I just buy cheap stuff. So, you know, when will we see, will we see the sort of sea change shift in opinion? Um, do you think that will happen soon? Um, I, I think so. I, I've already seen a lot of um, businesses that start to pop up simply to serve that, that organic market. Yeah. Um, you know, we have our, our farmer's market that happens during the summer, and a lot of that is grown, you know, locally. Um, but during the winter, all that produce can't grow. Um, so the business need is, is there, the demand in the market is there. So I think entrepreneurs will be the first first people to solve that problem by realizing that there is a demand in the market, yeah. they'll fulfill that need. And, and very easily from that point, it, it's easy for the city to, or, or other businesses to see, um, uh, the opportunity that's there. Do you think there's also enough education and messaging out there? Because I, I'll give you another very good example, um, when recycling first came in, in the late eighties, early nineties. And, and that was another example where, again, the culture of convenience recycle, why do I have to recycle? We just throw all my stuff in one big barrel and some guy comes and takes it away and they throw it in a landfill somewhere and I don't have to deal with it anymore. But it's really just, it only took about, I would argue less than 10 years. I mean, by the late 1990s, early two thousands, almost every American knew 
you know, dear God, don't throw glass in that barrel. That's a recyclable. So, you know, people can be reconditioned and trained to, to think environmentally. Right. I think you're exactly right. And so, you know, we already go into our own grocery stores. You can go into our, I guess, a food city now and you can see lettuce that was, you know, has the hydroponic label on it. Yeah. Um, all, all it takes is small changes like that. And as businesses driving those changes for, for people to realize that there's opportunity and it's, it's just a change in what we see. You know, it's a change in, in the barrel that we put our stuff in or it's a change in, in how we grow our lettuce or our tomatoes. Talking here once again with Daniel Leak. Daniel is the founder of My Smart Garden. And Daniel, that's based right here in Chattanooga, correct? We are over in Eastridge. All right. So anybody who wants to reach out to you, I know you have a website and I'm sure you're out there. So anybody who wants more information, wants to get involved in hydroponics, specifically wants to see what's going on with My Smart Garden and how you can help them, how do they get in touch with you? Um, the easiest way is for is to go to thesmartgardenproject.com. They can, um, investors can, potential investors can sign up there, people interested in uh, pre-ordering our next round of gardens. We have another um, iteration of our garden uh, monitoring program coming out uh, in the next couple months. Um, so anybody can sign up for information there, see our contact info, see where we're at. Fantastic. All right, Daniel Lee, My Smart Garden, I appreciate the time. And now we're going to bring into the show Sam Parfit. Sam is the director of athletics at St. Peter's School in Chattanooga. He's also the founder of the True Athlete Project. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Absolutely. Now, the very first thing I notice is you are not from around here. Based <laughs> on that accent, that does not sound like a Chattanooga accent. Born and raised in Soddy Daisy. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm from uh, Norfolk in England, the east of England. Okay. Um, and I came over here on a tennis scholarship, played Division One tennis at UTC. Fantastic. Uh, January 2009 mm -hmm. and graduated December 2012. Mm -hmm. And I've stuck around. I liked it so much. How many athletes, uh, before we get into what's going on with the True Athlete Project, uh, you know, athletes like yourself growing up on, on not the other side of the world, but at least in Europe, uh, how many of them make the transition to Division One athletics in the United States? Is that something that athletes over there, say, aspire to? Or uh, it would seem to me like I'm not aware of what's going on athletically in England necessarily. So how many athletes over there know what's going on here right. and understand that, hey, I could get a scholarship and yeah. go play my sport? So uh, U.S. college athletics is very much sort of world college athletics, really. There isn't a system comparable. Yeah. So I think uh, athletes in other countries do know about it, um, especially as they start moving up the ranks and uh, realize that it's it could be feasible mm -hmm. know, to get a great education and a fantastic experience abroad and to keep training. Um and sort of pursuing their competitive ambitions. I think a big part of it depends on which sport they're in. Obviously, if you're a soccer player in England, right. that may not be the... You have all the opportunities one. you need. Right. <laughs> right. Rugby right. and cricket, for example. Would sure, be yeah. um, But definitely tennis players, you know, you reach 18. I left home at 15, lived alone in London playing tennis and got to 18 and sort of had a choice. Um, do I try and travel 35 weeks a year and pay for a coach and hotels and sleep on train stations in right. some far-flung place in the world and try and earn a living? Mm -hmm. um, or do I quit? Or do I take this third option, which is fantastic, gives you a chance to play professional events in the summer, um, you know, gives you a great education, like I say. And, sure. Uh, and to just be able to keep playing, which Absolutely. is my goal. So you played at the Division One level at UTC. Uh, you coach tennis yourself. You're the director of athletics at St. Peter's, but you also founded this uh, project called the True Athlete Project. So just yeah. talk about that. What's that all about? Yeah, so the True Athlete Project uh, is a really holistic way of de developing people through sport. 
Um, so what I did in uh, January 2015 was to think about the state of sport, the state of society. Um, and I brought together a really interesting set of people from around the world to sort of help me think about these issues. Um, so on the team is the pioneer of wheelchair Tai Chi, the first woman to defeat uh, men in U.S. canoeing nationals, does mindfulness with the Department for Defense. Mm -hmm. um, the director of clinical and sports psychology at the University of Arkansas, um, various sports psychologists, academics, coaches, athletes, a fantastic boxer in New York and, um, and people local too. Um, and so we got our heads together. I knew that these people all had a diverse experience of sport, but all also shared this common philosophy towards sport, that it can be a powerful thing in people's life, a transformative thing for a community. Um, and so from there, we decided um, a sort of a strategy of trying to affect people positively through sport. Mm -hmm. um, so that's taken the shape of uh, retreats, workshops, coach courses, um, and individual training with athletes. So whoever comes to us with whatever issue they have, whether it's a team who are struggling with, I don't know, uh, focus on the, the big games, the pressure moments, if it's a school who are struggling with parents trying to influence the coaches, if it's an athlete who has um, you know, any issue whatsoever in their training, um, they come to us, they give us their challenges, they give us their setup, they give us their goals, and I can sort of take that to the team and we make a very sort of bespoke um, program for them. Mm. So recently we've had a blind sprinter from Britain, 100-meter sprinter, who just won the world championships. Um, He's the, blind. The, yeah. 100%. Uh, he has a uh, sort of narrow tunnel vision. There are various yeah. categories. Right. I think it's, I'm not sure if it's T11, I'm not sure. But, um, and I think it's degenerative. But wow. he he's a fantastic guy, um, Suleiman Bar, a British guy. He won the World Championship Youth Games in Rio this year. Mm -hmm. um, and so for him, it was really interesting. You know, he he obviously had these great ambitions, but some big challenges um, in his training. And so we've created a sort of support structure with me and a couple of others on the team and have been going backwards and forwards on Skype and created a really cool program with him. We've now got the world record holder um, for the blind 100 meters to be his mentor. Oh, and wow. So that's a sort of example of how powerfully we can um, sort of all come together and connect people. Right, connect yeah. people, yeah, and, and use this sort of holistic mind, body, spirit approach um, to sport because sport can be such a fantastic, uh, joyful thing, but it so often gets perverted away from that. And you know, that's what I think, you know, because I, this is an interesting conversation to me because I, I'm, I was a division one athlete myself, okay. a baseball player, nice. uh, Davidson college. And, uh, I completely agree with you. I played two sports growing up, ice hockey and baseball. And by the time I was uh, about to graduate, I had offers in both. And I think you're right. Sports is the kind of thing when done properly, it can be such a positive impact on your life in so many ways. Forget about the sporting right. end of it, just in, in terms of every quality you want to bring into your life. But when it's approached the wrong way, it just gets to be annoying and a hassle. Yeah. And you have these helicopter parents and mean coaches, and it just basically destroys the kid's life. And they don't want anything to do with this anymore. But, um, you know, I, I just I always thought it was interesting because then in my adult life, you know, society tends to be segregated and you have people who either played sports or they didn't. And you have people who are artists or they're not. And you have people who are techies or they're 
And I would try to explain to these people that, you know, to me, sports was sort of my art and my direction and my whatever you're into, tech, finance, math. Like that's, to me, that was sport. Yeah. It, it encompassed all of those things. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that, but you clearly do. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's uh, really a big part of the project is trying to get people to realize that. Um, and actually, in our methods, we use uh, writing and art and treat sport as this expressive uh, thing, which it really is. You know, it's a it's a very powerful force in a person's life. Mm. It's such a shame when it gets you know treated as this sort of win at all costs thing. Right. Or, you know, you've got the parents screaming on the sidelines. Or uh, I did a lot of work with at risk Hispanic youths with soccer in Dalton, Georgia, and um, we had some crazy things happen. You know, well, uh, of course, parents pouring Powerade over the trophies when their children's <laughs> lost and. I mean, just nuts. Uh, I vividly remember this is an absolutely true story. I started playing ice hockey. I grew up in the Northeast, and they start the hockey players early there. I learned to skate when I was about two years old. My first traveling team, I was five. And I vividly remember five years old, I was playing for my first traveling team, fist fight in the stands between yeah. parents. Five-year-olds. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. It really is. And the, But the benefit of what we're doing, you know, it, it can come across to a sort of maybe a very typical um, hard-headed coach who's just been brought up in this sort of patriarchy of sport. My coach did things this way, right. so I'm going to. It can appear sort of um, fluffy, maybe. But actually, when you explain the logic that helping someone with things like mindfulness, helping someone to focus on the process, uh, focus on the right things rather than being distracted by the parents, the coaches, the rankings, the weather, whatever, mm. um, making sure that someone can uh, wipe away what's gone before and, and really be present with what's going on, that of course improves performance. And it of course uh, allows someone to be happy when they're playing, which again improves performance and keeps someone playing and keeps someone coming back. Um, and these can only be good things. There was a study recently that showed that college athletes are no more engaged in physical activity post their competitive lives right. than the average person sure which you know it shows that something has gone wrong there in their sporting career you know and these you know whether it's discrimination or bullying or um at the high levels doping you know that all these sort of myriad um problems in sport are, are what we're really trying to to solve yeah yeah Talking here once again with Sam Parfit. Sam is, well, he's the director of athletics at St. Peter's School in Chattanooga. He's also the founder of this project that he calls the True Athlete Project. Um, Sam, speak again. So take us back to January 2015 is when you started to uh, get interested in in starting the idea of this project. So uh, we've kind of spoken to that, uh, the pluses and the minuses of engaging in athletics, but your own specific experiences, what of your own experiences inspired you to start this project? Yeah. So um, I'd start really when I was quite young. Um, my dad was my coach growing up and had a very sort of, uh, again, holistic way of developing me as an athlete. Um, he'd come out with Zen sayings in the middle of learning something on my serve or it was just very conscious of the mental game. Um, and so that was a good foundation, I think. And I worked with some great people growing up and I worked with some really, really poor people growing up. And, um, and so saw that, uh, that difference, how well it can be done, how beautiful sport can be and how terrible it can be too. Um, and that only sort of uh, went on as I sort of made it through the ranks. In college, I had 13 surgeries and so personally experienced um, 
how disappointing sport can be and how an athlete's identity is completely wrapped up in what they do. You know, when I hit a forehand, I'm not hitting a forehand. I, you know, I am that forehand. If I hit it badly, I, right. you know, it completely affects you. Um, and then I started to uh, shift my focus away from competing, especially with these with health issues, um, and got involved in various sport for social good projects. Um, and that really opened my eyes to a whole different world of sport. I realized that sport could be this broadening thing rather than something narrow that ended when you were, you know, 30, 35. Right. Um, I presented a couple of times at the Muhammad Ali Center at the Athletes and Social Change Forum, which is actually coming up in a few days time. Um, and met great people there. Eli Wolf, Marcel Parent, Dr. Mary Hums, three people who really inspired me and mm. sort of showed me that there's this huge life in sport that I never even considered. You know, my focus was so narrow. Right. And I see their determination to make a difference through sport. And it was like the determination needed um, by an athlete to, to get better every day. Well, and I'm sure that was a great uh, revelation for you to realize just because your playing days are over does not mean the journey is over. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so the more people we can get to realize that, I think is huge because then, you know, we can create a more and more positive cycle with every generation of athletes. Um, upon graduation, I got a, uh, got the position of uh, the athletics director at St. Peter's school. Mm -hmm. And that was really um, a very important step along this way because it's, I had a fantastic chance to create a program, uh, an athletics program around a really positive set of ideals. And so what we've created there over the last three years is really quite innovative and, and groundbreaking. There are not many schools, athletics departments like it. Um, we do international sports, cricket and parkour and mindfulness sessions and Tai Chi and um, all sorts of character development through sport. Um, we celebrate sports heroes. We celebrate the International Day of Sport for Development and Peace, mm. which is today. Wow. Yep. How about that? I know. There's a coincidence. And that's a, a day created by the United Nations. So in the past, we've studied sports poetry we've learned the hacker the new zealand the right. Maori war dance mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. we've studied inclusive sports like blind soccer uh, this year the kids made a great video which focused on the un's sustainable development goals um, so they all have posters saying i play for saving the animals i play for um, no poverty equality um, but you know this 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 is interesting too when you talk about the international day of sport uh, you know the development of peace and how all of these things sort of interplay and interact and it is very true when you look at a lot of the uh, the global security issues that that challenge the world right yeah. now between terrorism and hunger and war and these sort of things sport is one of the few things that rises above all of that yes. okay now a good example being the sport of football soccer which is something that is just universally recognized by almost every culture. And whether you're talking about Iraq, Syria, the United States, Canada, these are things that people, it, it at least inspires people to rise above the rest of that stuff. And, and you can meet people from different religions, different countries who should be at war with each mm -hmm. other. And if they share that same common thing, okay, but they both play football. They just, right. it, it's, it has that amazing power. They just put it aside. Right. It really does. I explain it to the kids like it, you know, it's a, it's a universal language. So if I was to speak English and you speak right. Mandarin, you know, mm -hmm. we might not very easily have a good conversation, but as soon as we take to the soccer field or to the track or whatever, you know, I, I know exactly what you're feeling uh, and I can empathize with you and, and we can realize that we can build a friendship. 
you know, that transcends our, our circumstances. Well, there's a, there's a great organization in Chattanooga called SCORE, and uh, they go down to the Dominican Republic. Uh, they, they focus on baseball a lot, and they go down to the Dominican Republic, and they, uh, and they host a baseball camp there for a week, and it's the same deal. I mean, barely any of the coaches and instructors coming down from America speak Spanish. None of these kids in the Dominican Republic, I mean, maybe they can speak a broken word or two of English, but it doesn't even make a difference. Right. It's just the language right. of baseball. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's, yeah. It really is fantastic. We, uh, at St. Peter's, we study the uh, Christmas Day truce in 1914. Um, the German soldiers and the English soldiers on Christmas Eve, you may have heard the story, Yeah, um, came out in no man's land and sung hymns and um, played a game of soccer in the middle of World War One. Yeah. Um, and obviously went back the next day and fought each other. And, back to war. Yeah. yeah. So I use that with the kids to, you know, explain if they can do it, then we sure can. You're listening to Chattanooga Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center, downtown Chattanooga. My name is Brian Joyce. My guest here is Sam Parfit, and he's the founder of the True Athlete Project. Uh, Sam, you mentioned a couple of um, cool folks, interesting names that you've brought on board with this project. Get back into that. Who do you have working with you? Yeah, so uh, Pam Butler is one of them. She's the first lady to ever defeat uh, men in the U.S. Canoeing Nationals. She works um, for the Department for Defense and does some mindfulness there in the leadership development role that she's in. Um, and she is the president of Women Can, um, which is an organization uh, set up to promote gender equity in canoeing. Um, a boxer, Vanessa Shakur, who self-rehabilitated with all these uh, sort of amazing techniques, art, sport, meditation. Um, she had a terrible accident as a child and, and self-rehabilitated and has actually sort of made a, uh, a new martial art, sacred warrior boxing, mm. um, which is an internal and external martial art. So it involves physical things uh, as well as more inward practices, meditations. And, and she does that with um, Indian youth and Indian reservations mm. up in New York because um, it's very sort of sensitive to their cultural tradition. Right. Um, and various others, sports psychologists, um, Tim Chakwin, who works at Macaulay School, um, the Dean of Residence there, um, Dr. Althaus, who's a UTC professor. Um, and it's been really fun to sort of put together that team and kind of feed off each other. And, um, and others come in. We're creating a coach course at the moment so that coaches can be trained in our methods so that they can more powerfully impact um, who they work with. Because coaches have a huge platform. You know, massive potential. If you think about all the, all the coaching going on every day, and sometimes they just don't, for no fault of their own, perhaps have the the means to to make that difference. I see all the time, um, you know, the coaches on the sideline shouting, "Focus, be confident, <laughs> relax." Right. And it's you know, it would be like a math teacher um, saying to their pupil, "Get better at math." You know, you, you wouldn't do that. You'd have a very sort of skillful practices and you'd work at it right um and the same thing is true in sport these things don't just come and they have to be worked at and so that's what we hope to do with um bringing mindfulness to sport but doing it in an integrated way in an easy way um because a coach and a team you know they don't necessarily have an hour every day to go and sit on the top of a mountain and have a gong going and, you know what I mean? <laughs> right so it has to be sort of applied um it has to be weaved into to practices so we do things like mental warm-ups um just fun little exercises that sort mm. of get the brain going prior to playing you know we right. always do physical warm-ups but very rarely mental warm-ups and team building exercises and mm -hmm. yeah 
Um, so if anybody does want to get involved with the True Athlete Project, do you have any upcoming events or programs that people can reach out to you and get involved with? Yeah, absolutely. We have a uh, retreat in uh, October, which will be in Costa Rica, um, which is going to be really fun. Tea ceremonies and jungle hikes and yeah. training. And um, we're always available to come and present workshops. We're always available to, um, to come to us with, you know, whatever the need is and we can figure out, sort of, we will be very flexible and figure out what we can do for you. Um, so it's the true athlete project, uh, org. There we go. My guest here, once again, Sam Parfit, and he is the founder of the true athlete project. And, uh, I know you just mentioned the website there, uh, before I let you go, Sam, Anybody who wants to find out more about the retreat or any other way that they can get involved and support your project and what you have going on here? How do they reach you? Yeah, uh, the true athlete project at gmail.com. Um, and if you're interested in learning more, you know, if you're a, a PE teacher out there or someone based at a school and want to know more about what we've done at St. Peter's School, um, you can uh, find us on the website there. So, Absolutely. All right. Chattanooga Business Radio broadcasting live from the Regis Office Center. Once again, my name is Brian Joyce. My guests have been Daniel Leak. Daniel is the founder of My Smart Garden. Uh, Daniel, once again, anybody who's interested in hydroponics, how do they find you? TheSmartGardenProject.com. There we go. And uh, Sam, once again, your website, anybody interested in the True Athlete Project? Yeah, it's www.thetrueathleteproject.com. There we go. All right, folks, you've been listening to Chattanooga Business Radio. We are broadcasting live once again from the Regis Office Center downtown Chattanooga. And my name's been Brian Joyce. I appreciate your time and we'll talk to you next time.